0: And now, serving up the scoop, here's your host, Dr. Melissa Seydorf.
1: Welcome back, Rural Scoop listeners, and I'm so glad you could join us for our latest conversation with an outstanding educator who is doing some pretty amazing things in her rural community. Uh, But before we get started with hearing her story around rural schooling in Alaska, I'd like to introduce my co-host for this series, Mr. Ty White. Ty is the 2122 Arizona Rural Schools Association Teacher of the Year, and this year has been awarded the National Teacher of the Year for NREA, the National Rural Education Association. And additionally, he was honored as the Teacher of the Year for the Arizona Educational Foundation. So Ty, introduce yourself to the listeners.
2: Welcome back. Is this your first time joining us? I am a high school chemistry teacher out of Wilcox, Arizona. I sometimes I remember to include that I grew up in Globe and still consider it as my hometown, but I really am glad that I found myself at this stage of my career back in rural communities. Now, I get the chance to introduce you to Harley Harvey, who as we've already said teaches in Alaska, but I want to really point out that this is a special guest on here for us, not only was she identified as the Alaska State Teacher of the Year, But she was one of our top five finalists this year. I mean, among all the teachers for all the states, she stands out as absolutely being one of the best. And so not that I'm putting any pressure on her here, but I'm super excited for her to tell you guys her story.
1: So Harley, introduce yourself to the listeners and give a little bit about your background and how you got started in education and how you ended up in Alaska.
3: Hello, everyone. My name is Harley Harvey. Um, I am thankful to be with you guys today uh, talking about what I do in Alaska as a rural educator. I am a first grade teacher in Point Hope, Alaska, which is a community it is the northwesternmost community in the United States. It is also the longest continuously inhabited village in North America. So um it is, really, really rich with a tradition and culture that I have been blessed and honored to be able to learn about and work with uh, the last nine years. So a little bit about me, I was born and raised in Fairbanks, Alaska, which is interior Alaska. I completed elementary, middle, and high school, and then I went on to graduate from the University of Alaska Fairbanks with my bachelor's in elementary education. I married my husband that summer, and in the fall, we moved out to Point Hope. So, we have been living in Point Hope for nine years. I moved out there to teach. He has done different jobs as needed around the community, bus driving, daycare, sometimes just stay at home dad. So since we moved out to Point Hope, we've had five children of our own, and we currently have two foster kids. So we're raising our family out there, and I get to teach out there. Point Hope is for for people that don't know Alaska, um, rural Alaska is typically defined as communities with that are off the road system. So, you can only access communities by boat or by airplane. So, we can only get to Point Hope by flying. So, we have to fly out of Anchorage to Kotzebue and then on to Point Hope. And there are if I'm remembering right, a little over 200 different communities that are classified as rural under this definition in Alaska. There are other rural communities that are classified as a population of 200 or less on the road system, but I don't know how many there are. Um, most of rural Alaska is off the road system, accessible only by boat or plane year round. So do you know how to fly a plane? I do not know how to fly a plane, but it's on my husband's list of things he might do someday. <laughs> <laughs> or our kids could beat us to it because I think and it used to be this way unless things have changed you can get your pilot's license at 14 in Alaska.
1: And you can't drive until you're 16. Can't
3: drive until you're 16.
1: Wow.
2: (laughs) So when did you realize that you wanted to be a teacher? Because it sounds like you kind of knew as you went to college what that was going to be for you.
3: Yeah. So I think I always knew I was going to be a teacher. I know when I was graduating high school, I was on the fence about being a teacher or maybe a school librarian. But there was no program in Alaska to become a librarian. And I didn't want to leave the state for schooling. So teaching it was. And so I went to UAF. I would like to say it was smooth sailing. And I just breezed right through. But that was not the case. Um, I actually had a really rough schooling experience, particularly my last year. Which it's funny sitting where I am now. Because back then I was told I was never going to make it. I was not going to be successful. I was a disappointment. Um, I I heard a lot from different professors and different people that were supposed to be mentors, um, which I bring up because I think a lot of people have this dream to be a teacher. And I don't want people to ever be told, well, you can't, if it's something that they know they're passionate about, do it. We need teachers from all different walks of life and all different places. And If I would have let one or two people tell me I couldn't, then I wouldn't be doing what I am today. So it was challenging, but I made it through, and I'm glad I'm not a librarian. I mean, I still love the library, but I'm really glad I ended up in teaching.
2: You know, this is your podcast, but I don't mean to take anything over here, but I can relate to that. When I was student teaching, my mentor teachers held an intervention and suggested maybe another field. I need to consider another field. So... (laughs) I so don't a very know. Good company.
1: <laughs> there we go. There we go. I'm glad both of you decided not to listen to that and <laughs> continued on. <laughs> so, Harley, you you talked about how you went to Fairbanks and Fairbanks has, f- for all intents and purposes, a pretty urbanized school district. And you ended up in Point Hope, which is very rural. Very rural if you have to get there by boat or by plane. And so my question for you is, why did you choose to take that kind of pathway in your first teaching position?
3: Um, So I often joke with people that I wanted something smaller than Fairbanks. (laughs) 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 Because Fairbanks, for being as urban as it is, it's still a small town compared to a lot of our nation. Um, It is, I think, the second largest city in Alaska, but it's still pretty small. Um, but really, when I was going through my undergrad, the program really emphasized the need for educa- educators in rural Alaska. There is an, a big problem that we've had that's standing in the country's feeling it right now is a recruitment retention issue. Mm-hmm. And so most the vast, vast majority of teachers leave before completing their second year. And so I was aware of this statistic And I knew I wanted to get a teaching job right out of college, not a substitute job, not like work your way in. I wanted to teach. And so I knew that going rural was a way to do that, to get right into my own classroom. Um, My senior year, I was able to actually go and visit a rural school for a week. And that was a great opportunity to be able to see if village life in Alaska was something that I could see myself in. Um, it's hard because you have to, you know, you're flying your groceries and it's really isolating. You can't just drive somewhere to go visit family. It can be really expensive. So, I was able to experience it for a week snapshot, which, you know, still may or may not be an accurate reflection or enough time. Um, But I I loved that experience. And during my undergrad program, I met one of my best friends. She is from Point Hope. And so, we started talking mid-program about me going home to her home and teaching with her and um and that that's what we did i talked my husband into it i didn't have to twist his arm too much he was up for the adventure and and that's how i ended up in rural alaska is recognizing the need and wanting knowing i could have my own classroom and also hopefully help address a big problem that we have with education in rural alaska which is the high turnover
1: Carly, one of the things that Ty and I have talked about before with other guests that we've had on the podcast is that if you don't have an understanding of rurality, when you move into these communities, potentially we're setting them up for failure. And so I, I appreciate that you recognize that number one, you wanted to try it out. But number two, that you had a program that really did emphasize the importance of exploring rural in a way that you're really understanding what you're getting into. Do you have people that are in your school system right now that have had that experience where they didn't know what they were getting into and therefore they left earlier than you had hoped they would?
3: Yeah. So my first year teaching, we had a teacher come in and i don't know if she even looked the village up on like google you know i mean we have some technology that could access this information and she was saying things like i thought there would be a walmart here or (laughs) i mean just no concept of how different it is we have a store but again when you have to fly everything in on you know if it's stormy you don't get stuff in every day this year was particularly stormy and so we'd have a day or two of planes and then five to seven days of no flights in and so it's just a whole different kind of life to know that it is isolating you can get stuck for days and not be able to leave the community um and you have to go without some stuff because some stuff just doesn't transport well fresh fruits and vegetables are not always right there readily accessible um And that teacher left at Christmas time. Like it Mm -hmm. became too much um, because she didn't know what she was getting into and she wasn't prepared for it. And that's something that I think the districts could do a better job at preparing teachers for and the state could do better. I mean, we have to recruit outside of the state so much that there could be better programs or more consistent programs. Um, There's different things that have been offered to teachers. So when I started teaching, we had the Alaska statewide mentor project. So I had a mentor who flew in every month and worked with me as a new teacher. And that was amazing. And this was a teacher who had rural experience themselves. I had also taught in village Alaska. So she knew what I was, the conditions I was working in and how they're different than maybe on the road system. There's also culture camps that are offered, and that seems to be inconsistent. So some years they have them, and some years the funding isn't there. And I know the teachers that go through these culture camps, which are usually week-long, oh, how do you say, like, they they go to the village and they spend a week, not with teaching duties, just with talking to elders and community members and learning about the area where they're going to live for the next year and hopefully longer. Those programs have been really successful for the teachers, but the funding's not always there to offer them consistently. Yeah.
2: I want to follow up too, Uh, you know, being that you said you were exposed to the idea of teaching rurally in the, in your college training. I mean, obviously it worked for you. You were convinced to go out and take it on. Does that work for very many people? Like, does that recruit a whole lot?
3: Mm, I think there were, there was one other girl who went out with me to the same village and then a group of three that went out to a different village in the same district. And I don't, I think I was the only one in that, that group that went out that actually went rural. Um, I had some classmates who went out to villages for a couple years and then moved back into town to teach. So, um, it worked a little bit. We had some teachers go, but they, they don't usually stay. It's actually in my district. We, we did some research this year for an article about teaching and my teaching and what our district was able to report is that only 25% of teachers across our district have been there longer than two years. Wow. So people come out and then they leave for various reasons, right? Everyone kind of has their own reasons, but a huge part of that is the challenges of living and teaching in rural Alaska.
2: It's it's certainly a culture shock. Like, I don't think there's any argument. I, mean, yeah. I would argue that there's a culture shock for someone to move from Phoenix to where i met at Wilcox but at least we have a highway system and, and that's certainly a bigger challenge to have to live almost self-contained in a community like that.
3: Yeah. And a lot of our teachers come from even outside the state they had the benefit of being raised in Alaska. So even from a young age, I was exposed to the different cultures around the state, mm-hmm. kind of the, not that I lived it, but I kind of knew more about it. When you have teachers that are coming up from outside, they have really have no idea. Um, except maybe what they've researched on their own. And that sure. can be really, really challenging for them.
2: So you said you've taught in this school for nine years. And I mean, that's that's a lot of l- longevity, especially when you say less than 25% of the people in your school have been there for two years. So what would you say are some of your favorite things about teaching at, and I'm going to have you say the name of your school because I won't say it right.
3: Yeah, so I teach at Tikiok School. And when I first heard about Point Hope, um, it was when I met my friend Claudia and we have whaling crew jackets, which I obviously I didn't have then, but she was wearing her whaling crew jacket. And all semester I saw the jacket with Tiki off on the back of it. And I finally I've been wanting to ask her what it was. And I finally got up the nerve and I said, what is Tiki (laughs) Gak? And all she did was laugh at me. And I thought for sure she was going to be like, hate me. And like, oh, just, you know. (laughs) so tikiak is how you pronounce it i completely butchered it the first time i ever said it (laughs) um so i teach at tikiak school and honestly when i first moved out there my husband and i told the kids the community like maybe one year maybe one year we'll stay for another year one year um just because we didn't want to give them a false hope some people come out with a five-year plan and then it falls apart and it's just we were trying to be realistic. So the first year or two, it was, well, we'll stay for another year. We'll stay for another year. Um, now when people ask it's however long you'll let us stay here <laughs> as a <the> community. <laughs> um, we really love the small community and the fact that everyone kind of knows everybody else. So, I mean, our, we have the people at school our kids' friends, we know them, we know their families, they know us. Um, there's a trust there. It's like living in a tiny little neighborhood school, I think. Um, but it's kind of the, it's the whole community. And, and our community has been incredible. I mean, I have to say I wouldn't be the educator that I am if it wasn't for the support that I received from the community that I work in and the people that I work with. We also really, really love being able to learn about the history and culture of the people in point hope so we are not indigenous m- my husband or myself um my stepmom is she's a new and her family is from norvik and kotzebue area which is just south of us um so i have an anna like a grandma her mom who is from norvik and in a way it helps it's been nice to connect kind of with that culture and learn about their culture which is also my little sister's culture. And just the rich culture that's there that's been able to survive thousands and thousands of years. So there's been, you know, the colonization and there's been different things that have been harmful for these communities. But it's been really inspiring and really kind of amazing to learn about their tradition, their culture, their language that survived through so many of these traumatizing things that have happened and is still going strong today today. Um, it's a different way of teaching. It's a different way of engaging with kids. And I think that um, while it's been challenging, it's also been really rewarding for me as as someone outside the community to become familiar with some of the practices within the community.
2: I think that's beautiful. I, I really think that there's a disconnect with people who don't understand how different Native cultures can be when they approach teaching in a situation like that.
3: Yeah. If we come in with just what we learn in college and think it's going to work in these rural communities and indigenous communities, like it doesn't. And it was a huge learning curve for me. Like it, it was years of trying to figure out how can I meet the needs of my students? Because what I came in with wasn't it.
1: Harley, that's a challenge and teaching in rural, especially teaching in rural off-road Alaska has some very unique challenges and barriers as well as some opportunities like you're talking about. So what are the things that you've encountered in your teaching practice that you've seen as challenges and how have you overcome those? Um, So one of the challenges
3: I talked about already is retention Mm -hmm. has always been kind of an issue. So I started in fall of 2014. Last year, I I tried to count up how many teachers have been through my building in eight years, but then it was eight years. And I don't know if I was even able to remember every single teacher. And I got up to a list of 78.
1: <gasps>
3: wow. So our building has 23 teaching positions. And in eight years, we've seen over 78 teachers come through Um. on that same, you know, the same other side of the same coin, I guess, to say it is I've had eight different administrators in nine years, hmm. eight different principals, and I didn't count assistant principals. And so... Um, there's this huge revolving door that has been problematic. Um, as an individual, it's not something I can change systemically, but I have like, I'm the president of our local union. So I try to reach out to these teachers, make sure they feel valued and important and make sure the district's holding up their end of the bargain with these teachers. And hopefully they feel respected and want to come back. Um, I'm also in a doctoral program right now where I'm, researching principal retention in rural Alaska and which is where I learned that rural Alaska is very different from rural United States although I can't explain all the different ways yet um, part of my research did highlight how different like rural is and depending on where you live Um, I'm just starting the thesis process in July I really started the actual writing and research part of that But my hope is to gain some insight that's valuable to districts in the state, because if we can maybe stem some of this principal retention, maybe that'll help keep teachers because if teachers are confident that they're going to come back working under a strong administrator, then maybe they'll be more willing to come back too. Um, As far as classroom practices, I think that I had the traditional notion of like the teacher led classroom and I really had to kind of scale back, like, yes, I'm the leader. And yes, I, you know, but we work together, even my first graders work together to come up with our common goals as a class, our common expectations as a class. When it comes to integrating culture in the classroom, that's my turn to step back and let my kids step forward. Because even my six and seven year olds have knowledge about their culture and their traditions that they can teach, and they're teaching me. So I'm hitting maybe the academic content that pairs with what the cultural um, practices and traditions, but they're the ones teaching me about the cultural practices and traditions.
2: And that's a valid, that's a very important way to connect with students, because if, if they know when you don't see them or recognize them being authentically themselves, and, and it creates a signal, it it's very much a sign that you don't feel they belong. Mm-hmm. That's a That's a beautiful thing to hear.
3: Yeah. And so often the community and the kids don't feel like they belong in our schools. So, which is the history of education in indigenous communities. We were trying to teach the culture out of them
2: historically.
3: Right. And in a large part, we haven't shifted all the way where we need to. So that that's not the case. But I, my hope is always that my kids feel welcome in my classroom and know that there's things I don't know that they can teach me about. So I'm not coming in as the expert in everything. I'm the expert in what I know how to
1: teach. And they're the experts in their lives. I hope that by the time you're done with your dissertation work, and you've published your dissertation, that you're going to be able to come back and share with us what you found about principal retention, because I'm very interested in knowing more about that. Hopefully. (laughs) No, no, you're good.
3: (laughs) No, 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 no. That's good. We got really far without like someone talking over. We're good. I was going to say, hopefully, I can start shedding some light on it because I know that teacher retention is the greatest factor of student success. But I think principal retention in our rural schools is a fairly large factor in teacher retention. So hopefully, it can kind of meet and start resolving some of the recruitment and retention issues.
2: Harley, this is a a heavy and a, a tough topic. But like when we talk about Indigenous education traditionally, I've known some people who experienced like the boarding schools were those as prevalent in Alaska as they might've been on in the mainland U S.
3: Yeah. So Alaska has a really interesting history of education. And I, I can only summarize it a little bit because every community was a little bit different in how education was handled. Um, but I know on the North slope, At some point, I don't know what years, they started having elementary school available in the community. And then if you wanted a middle school or high school education, your only choice was to go out. Hmm. Other communities in Alaska were forcibly removed from their communities into those boarding schools. The North Slope, it's not like people came in necessarily and ripped them out, but it was like, well, if you want this, you're going to have to go. We're not offering it here. And so they were still forced in a lot of ways out to these boarding schools. Um, I've talked to people in the community who have shared some of their stories about boarding school. I've heard from elders through my undergrad that I was able to talk with through that program. Um, it was really horrific, horrific times. Some people were able to stay in Alaska for boarding school, but in the southeast, some people were sent out to like Oregon, um, out of state for their boarding schools and And they did, they tried to teach them how to assimilate into Western culture. And so a lot of language was lost. We're dealing with the repercussions of that on the North slope. There's not many native language speakers left or fluent. Um, So our school district paired with other community partners are in the process of a language revitalization effort right now because of that, the management of schools in Alaska, it was really probably very similar to the continental United States.
2: Well, that's a heavy one to have to move on from, but yeah. it's good to at least talk about it because there's so many people that I've met who really aren't familiar with what that experience looked like.
3: And I think that anyone like coming outside a community who's moving into the community has that responsibility to learn about that history because even some teachers I work with, I don't think they know the trauma that exists there and so when you get into like really these hard conversations and you have to you have to get into these hard conversations because that's the only way we're going to heal but because they don't have the background they don't really know how harmful those experiences were and so i think you know if you're going to work with an indigenous population you really need to know their history and you need to know their history with outsiders because It was really unhealthy and traumatic and we haven't fully moved on from that there's not been a healing yet
2: and i would only add to that that if you're going to work with an indigenous community you have to value their own cultures and traditions yes so on a lighter note we've talked to a lot of rural teachers on here and i think it's fair to say that teachers of all stripes take on a lot of other responsibilities But we've really heard some creative answers, not creative, that's not the right word there, but some interesting answers about rural teachers taking on a bunch of crazy roles. So besides being the the teacher in your classroom, what are some of the other things you do to help keep your school going?
3: I think I, similar to teachers across the board, there's different out-of-duty contracts you can take, right? So I've coached, I have done student store advisory, I guess, like running the student store, helping students run it. Um, I've been a teacher mentor for the cultural integration project that our district has basically anything that the school needs, the teachers end up doing right. So I don't know what else have I done. I have not had to step in and sub as an administrator, although I have colleagues that have had to do that. So they're teaching in the classroom and being acting admin for a day or a week or two weeks or however long we're without an admin um i know in another village i have a friend who has been a sub administrator for like quarters at a time so he's teaching and trying to run a building um while the district tries to hire a principal for their building i've not done that although i have had teachers in my building who have had to step into those roles from time to time either the principal's out on leave or we're waiting for a principal to come in Nothing probably as creative as what other people have shared with you.
2: <laughs> no, I'm going to say time out, though, because I heard you say earlier that bringing your husband to town means he drives the bus and he's yeah. done some maintenance work. So,
3: Yeah, so he's been a janitor. He's been a bus driver. What else has he done? He's been a substitute teacher, so he's taught for a quarter in the high school and then for almost a quarter in our early childhood classroom. So. <laughs>
2: That's quite Uh, the range.
3: (laughs) He's been, yeah, he came out with willing to do whatever he can. And and that's what he ended up doing right now. He's trying to start a daycare locally. So that's been his goal lately is an early learning center.
1: So Harley, one of the things that we've asked um, our interviewees to think about was, that term rural advantage there, because there is an advantage to living the rural life and working in a rural school. What does that term rural advantage mean to you? Um, so I actually love this
3: phrase. I hadn't heard of it before this podcast, so I don't know <laughs> if it's widely used or should be more widely used. Um, cause I know when we decided to move out to a village, my husband's family, my family thought we were crazy. <laughs> I, some of them might still think we're crazy. Um, even when we'd come into town and say how much we love it and how great it is, they did not believe us and they didn't believe that we believed us. So um, my favorite thing, I think being a rural teacher is that I get to be a part of the community and I get to watch my students grow. So I know in town, you leave elementary school, you go on to middle school and very rarely do you see your elementary school teachers again. When I saw mine, it was because they had children my age or my sister's age. And so we were in soccer together maybe Um, But it's not the same as seeing them every single day. So I can walk down the hallway and see my fifth graders now as high schoolers. Last year, my first class ever graduated. I'm like, (laughs) oh, they were like shorter than me. How many years ago? Now they're all taller and they're adults. And they have some of them have families of their own now. Um, And I, I love that I have that connection to the families. That's it's ongoing. I don't leave a family after you know their kid leaves first grade i'm with them even if i'm not their teacher i'm in the school and i'm in the community and we get to see each other and they're seeing my family grow i'm seeing their family grow the kids can come and visit me whenever they want to i have middle school kids that come down and sit in my room and i i miss first grade it was so much simpler back back then (laughs) and and they need that connection they need that kind of it's been, I think, healthy for them to come down where they feel safe because middle school sometimes doesn't feel safe. <laughs> and so they can still come down where they did at least at one point in time, feel comfortable and happy and remember that. And, and know that I'm still there to support them through their middle school years because um, they may not get that otherwise because teachers come so in and out so much. So I just I if you can make the community connection, the connections with families. And other, other teachers in my school have too. I've, I'm very lucky. I have teachers in my building that have been there. Probably half of us have been there for more than five years. So it's been really amazing for our kids, I think, to have those teachers that they can go and visit two or three years down the road. Because a lot of teachers in rural areas, especially in Alaska, don't have that. So that's been my favorite part is the connections that you can make. And they last forever. But as long as we're here, we'll have those connections.
1: And probably even if you choose to go elsewhere, you'll still have them.
3: Yeah. And now we have digital and like social media, right? So we can stay connected.
2: (laughs) So this next question, and I know you got these ahead of time, but I always feel like it's a tutor question. You can't ask a teacher, especially one who's done as many amazing things as you have and been recognized like you have what their proudest moment is. So feel free to carry on and, and just tell us about your, most exciting moments?
3: Um. So I think, I don't know if it's a moment, but I think a realization that I had, and we talked about it briefly earlier, is when you're talking about cultural integration, I think there's a big misconception. And it was one that I had admittedly moving out is we have these cultural units. Our district has done um, a substantial amount of work in writing curriculum that's culturally responsive. And so there's units that exist for different, standards, academic standards, that's also aligned to cultural standards that they've developed. And I think a misconception that most teachers have is that we're being asked to teach the culture. And that's what I thought, too. How can I implement these units? I don't know the culture, but you're asking me to teach it. And that was what I thought it was. And I remember talking to now she's our new pack education director about this misconception and and how do we address this with teachers? Because teachers from outside the community. And she put it really beautifully in that we're not asking outsiders to teach the culture. We're asking them to root the lessons in the culture of the students that they're working with. Mm -hmm. And that's not always a comfortable place to be, but it's possible. I talked earlier about being able to take a step back and letting my kids instruct. That might mean asking the kids for insight, asking their parents to come in and talk, we have illusory our language teachers i work very very closely with them to make sure that any information i'm presenting is accurate and authentic um sometimes it's asking them to present that information because coming from me it's not the appropriate source and for me just that explanation that you're not teaching the culture you're rooting the learning in the culture was like an aha moment for me because again, I was like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know about whaling. I don't know about subsistence hunting. I don't know about the blanket toss and the significance of it. There are so many things I don't know. And these units are amazing. They're rooted in the knowledge of the people, but it does require the teacher to humble themselves, take a step back and say, I don't know this aspect of the unit. How can I bring that knowledge in? Not that I do it perfectly all the time, but that's been my goal is to make sure that the information I'm presenting is authentic or coming from an authentic source. And sometimes that is a six-year-old in my classroom who knows much more about it than I do.
2: I just want to cut you off because I'm sure you've got more stories to share here. But there's an expression I see the kids use these days online where they say, can you say repeat that again for the people in the back? <laughs> like That's a powerful message just to acknowledge that as teachers, we have to humble ourselves and give our kids... That student voice to lead discussions and lessons, but also the idea that you're not having to teach the the culture, but you're having to recognize it and value it along with the way you learn things yourselves, ourselves.
3: Which is another opportunity for the students to see you as a learner, which I think is another really powerful thing for students to see Mm -hmm. is I don't, I'm not perfect and there's things I don't know. So then they get to see me as a learner alongside them instead of the person telling them things. And they're just supposed to pick it up and know.
1: Harley, you've already talked about how teacher and actually now leader recruitment and retention is an issue in your part of the country. Are there other things that are facing rural teachers or your district in particular that are challenges right now? And if you could maybe wave a magic wand and solve them, how might you do that?
3: Um, So a big issue, and I think it feeds into recruitment and retention is funding for our schools. So our schools have been what they refer to as flat funded for since 2017. So five or six years, there hasn't been an increase to the state contribution. Um, We've had inflation, we've had different things, and the base student allocation has stayed the same.
1: Hmm.
3: There was a marginal, like tiny, tiny increase, I think last year or the year before, but not, not anything meaningful. And so I think, I, I think funding is one of the biggest things. If the state legislature could figure out how to increase the BSA and give a meaningful increase to districts that helps them keep up with inflation, um, then we could see more resources in the classroom, potentially raises for teachers and classified staff um things that the district maybe wants to provide and they just they can't afford it because they're operating on the same budget they were six years ago that i think is is probably the greatest challenge facing facing our schools and it impacts teachers because we all do it we're all guilty of it some to more more or less than others but you know you're burning our own paychecks on the resources we need for our kids mm-hmm. and i think if the districts were in a position to support afford some of those things, they would, um, hopefully, but but they haven't seen an increase in how many years. So resources are struggling, teacher raises, classified raises. They're just we're kind of frozen right now, which makes recruitment and retention challenging.
1: Yeah, you're right. They are definitely tied.
2: If you had a chance to talk to future educators, like what would you say to draw them into a rural community? And I asked that especially because you talked about how you were exposed in college, kind of leading you to think about it. Well, how would you draw more teachers into rural communities?
3: Um, So I love, I love where I teach and I love what I do. I recognize that it's not for everybody, but if there's people who are interested in for people coming outside of the community, if you're interested in learning about another culture and you're authentically genuine and like, wanting to learn about it and value it and respect it. Like, I think it's a, it's been a beautiful and amazing experience for me. Um, I used the word humbling before, and I'm going to use it again, because if you cannot humble yourself, it probably is not the place to be. But if you, and I know, cause I was very shy my first couple of years. I didn't know the social norms. I didn't know, like, you know, when you go to different events, what the expected behaviors are and expected interactions. And so then I just stayed away from, community things because i didn't want to step out of line um what i learned is the community would rather you show up and mess up and they can teach you um then you not come but you have to be willing to learn and so what i found is is being comfortable in the, the uncomfortable is really important but if you're willing to open yourself up to those experiences you learn so much about the world around you and about a different community and a different culture um it's a different way of educating i think you know i had a colleague someone who is pretty much a mentor of mine i consider him a mentor um he told me working in a village is like dog years one year of experience is like three years somewhere else you can learn so so much so even if you only if even if you know you only want to come out for a year or two or three you're gaining experiences that could benefit you the rest of your career if you decide to leave and you might decide you like it and want to stay. So we have a teaching couple who's been in point hope for this is going on their 17th year. Like they just love it. And I don't know that they had that plan when they moved out, but they were open-minded and, and wanted to give it a try. And for some people it's the best place they could think they could think of teaching. The other side of that is if, anyone from a rural community and indigenous population is considering teaching please teach um our students need to see teachers that they can see themselves reflected in so i i like to hope that i've been very successful in my job but i often say i'll recruit myself out of a position if it means someone local becomes a teacher and if they want to teach first grade then i will teach another grade i'll do something else But our students need teachers also that reflect them and their values and their cultures. And so for anyone who's considering becoming a teacher or educator from a rural community, like, just do it. I know it's hard. It's not as easy as just do it. Um, But there's a lot of people cheering you on and will be cheering you on and backing you up through, through that formal education process.
1: So very well said, Harley. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you want to make sure that we're able to highlight? it's kind of a,
3: I I know I got these ahead of time, but it was very hard because what's like one thing that I can be more than one. Sure, (laughs) I think one thing it's important for people to know is rural is very small. Rural Alaska spreads over a huge geographical space. But I think it's important to recognize that the world of education is actually very small. So even though we're spread out, Everyone kind of knows everybody if you're around long enough. The players might be in different communities, but everyone's around. And so I think if you invest, even though I'm invested in Point Hope, I've now made connections across the state and across the country. So there's people with CCSSO that are related to people I've taught with in Alaska. So they're in D.C. and I know them like their family from Alaska. And I just think that, one, it's important to know when you go into this that you don't know who you're talking with, like you're setting like a precedence or someone may bring your name up later to someone else that you may not be aware of. So you always want, as teachers, we always wanna be on our best behavior, but especially I think rural education for being so spread out is also very small. I think it's also important to know that even though we're isolated in a lot of ways geographically, the world being as small as it is it means there's networking opportunities that keep us connected, even though it's not physically close. I know for me, part of that's been my uh, work with the local association and state association, feeling connected to educators across my district because we're very spread out. You know, we're The North Slope Borough School District is the largest district geographically in the country because it spans the whole North slope of Alaska. So we have hundreds of miles in between our communities, but I can still be connected to other educators in each of these communities, even if we're not physically sharing the same space. Intellectually we are, we have Zoom, we have different things that keep us connected. And so I think that's important for people to know because you come out to a place where you can fly in and out and get stuck for a week at a time, but you can still be connected to other people in other communities. In the state and across the country in meaningful ways, and so I guess you know, yes, it's it's physically isolating, but it doesn't have to be intellectually or emotionally isolating if you know that you can build a network of people that also support you when you support them.
1: That's very well said. Anything else? I don't know.
3: <laughs> if anyone wants to come out to rural Alaska, it is a great adventure. <laughs> it's um, it's it really is a. Totally different world, I think, than you'd get probably anywhere else. Um, but again, if you're open for an adventure and you're open-minded to learning and caring about the people you're working with, um, it's been amazing. My family and I love it. We're raising our kids out there, and and they love it. They, we come to Fairbanks for the summer, and by the end of the summer, they're ready to go.
2: <laughs> I I'd love to visit. Like I know it's not um, very classy to invite myself, but I'm ready to come. <laughs> come check on me.
1: up. <laughs> well harley thank you so much for spending part of your day with us we really appreciate it i want to thank you guys for having me it's
3: been a great opportunity to talk to other rural educators and and share my story
0: thank you to train for sponsoring the rural scoop Trainual is the number one software for process documentation and employee manuals. It puts everything into one simple searchable system that is easy to navigate, is clearly organized, and is simple to access. It's perfect for schools and even entire school systems. Trainual can also help your continuation plans as well. For example, your chemistry teacher can log how they've organized the storage room, making it easier for the next person who takes that job. Listeners of the Rural Scoop get 10% off their first 12 months by using offer code RURALSCOOP. When you sign up for your free trial, just enter Rural Scoop, one word, as a promo code, and it'll automatically apply. Just go to trainuel.com to get started. Thank you so much for listening to The Rural Scoop. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe, or even leave us a comment. And be sure to follow on Twitter at Dr. Sadorf. That's D-R underscore S-A-D-O-R-F so that you never miss a new release. You can also check out previous episodes of The Scoop wherever you get your podcasts. Production support for The Rural Scoop is provided by Chattanooga Podcast Studios. Find out more at chattanoogapodcaststudios.com. See you next time for more great discussions about rural education.